getting yeah. that 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 Craig bussy for real. Why do you Girl, say shut this? The fuck up. This is why, why you... your dad said that shit to me. What did my dad say to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you what your dad like commented to me. <laughs> oh, th- that he just like tries to tune me out when I'm on the podcast. No, like... he said the things that you say up there when you're on the podcast. It's like thank God you're going to church every week. <laughs> Uh, can, uh, Josiah, is, can you can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Everybody to Mammonburg, uh, another exciting episode with your tour guides of the horrible, godless, capitalist hellscape that is Mammonburg. Uh, today I am joined by my co-hosts and a guest, but co-hosts, uh, we got Phil. Hey everybody, it's Phil. Uh, I'm so filled with excitement because we're talking to Keanu today. Well, we haven't said that yet, but uh, Finch... Hey everybody, it's Finch on coming to you live on this lovely October day. That's right. Jackal. Hi everybody, it's Jackal. I hope you all are having a pretty decent day considering the hellscape that we live in. And I am of course Josiah coming at you live from the the beating throbbing heart of the country, uh, Iowa. And we are joined today by our wonderful guest Keanu. Thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Yeah, so we are we're going to talk about the the news, but one news story in particular, but um yeah, uh it's it's been a crazy week, guys. It's been a, a lot of stuff's happened. Uh we we had the awful hurricanes in Florida right now that has displaced a lot of people. Um and then we have of course the the accusations going on in Europe that the pipeline that blew up the what was the Nord Stream pipeline um it was sabotaged by russia i think russia's claiming that it was sabotaged by the west and i i am mostly still in the camp that uh it it did just blow up from natural causes and i'm willing to eat my eat my words there but uh yeah i mean that's that's everything that's going on right now but we brought keanu on specifically to talk about um the protests in uh iran which have been happening for the past couple weeks now i believe so i guess to start us off, Keanu, um, what has kind of led up to this situation that um, that we're kind of seeing in Iran? And I don't know, uh, kind of set the stage for us. But so uh, on uh, September sixteenth, a, a a young woman of twenty two years old by uh, her Persian name is Masa Amini, and uh, her given uh, 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 Kurdistani name is uh gina or gina she was arrested by uh some people are calling them the morality police which i think uh may not be the best way of addressing them uh the official name of the organization is called the guidance patrol or uh Gashte Ershad. and uh, uh they are the vice squad that enforces uh, a compliance with islamic juridical um uh dress codes 
And in the Islamic Republic of Iran, women are required when they are outside to wear something called a chador, or a more commonly known as a hijab. Uh, another way of saying it is rusari, uh, something that goes over your head to uh, hide your hair. And so essentially, the official narrative from the Islamic Republic is that she, she was arrested for not complying uh, with uh, uh, the dress code. And as she was taken to the police station, she had a heart attack and was in a coma for two days and died. The, the likelihood of this narrative reflecting empirical reality is, is very questionable. Observers um, noticed that she was severely beaten by the, the guidance patrol. And uh, some, some sources suggest that uh, as a result of this beating, she had a cerebral hem hemorrhage and uh, was in a coma for two days and died as a result of her injuries. There are a, a series of scaffolding issues uh, attached to this event. And it really depends on how you guys want to approach this question in terms of like, what are the what are the different interpretations of what actually happened? Or like, why is it the case that people are protesting now as a result of um, mm -hmm. uh, 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 this unfortunate woman's demise, as opposed to, say, uh, during the, the, the deaths of uh, Neda Agha Sultani. I don't know if you guys uh, uh, um, remember her. She was uh, shot by the Basij in the, in the aftermath of the, the 2009 Iranian uh, election protests uh, in the very questionable election of President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. We have video of uh, Neda Agha Sultan's death. Uh, whereas I don't believe we have video of, uh, of, uh, um, of Masa's, uh, demise. Um, but the question I find most provocative, most interesting is why now? Why are, why are there protests going on now? And, and how is she, how is she becoming mobilized? Her image, literally her, her photo, um, and, uh, artistic derivations of her with long hair, um, in defiance of the, the Rusetti Chador laws. How is her memory being mobilized by grassroots activists on the ground in Iran? And how is it being mobilized by Iranians and others in the diaspora for a various panoply of, of different reasons? So there's just lots to talk about here. And it's a shame that what brings us together this time is the, the, the death of, of, a, of a woman. Yeah, I think, Keanu, that there is something... Uh, I, I hate to bring this back to the U.S., but uh, that, that's the country that we come from. So at least the, that that's sort of the activism that all I, most of us here are pretty familiar with. It reminds me... I can't help but be reminded of the, uh, the 2020 BLM uprising with just how... It seemed, and there were questions about, you know, why, why this death, why now? Because there's a history of these deaths and of state violence happening to, uh, to people over and over and over and over and over again in both countries. I, I'm, and we also can't ignore. There's a racial component here that she was Kurdish, absolutely, in, in Iran, yeah. and that is something which. Uh, a particular element of the left on on Twitter, not just on Twitter, but I think just a particular element of the left, uh, really seems to hate Kurdish people like a lot, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like like a like virulently despise them to the point where even the gray wolves of Turkey would say, "Hey, hold on, hold on a second, you, you might be going a little too far there." <laughs> but 
you, I, I can't help but be reminded of the uprising because of how how quickly this has mobilized. Yeah. Just from, I, I think that eventually you hit a point where you know the proverbial straw breaks the camel's back, where it something is so horrible and caught on camera that you can't just ignore it or just put it to the side that you can't compartmentalize right. it like one usually would. And in the U.S., we've had like video footage of uh, black men being murdered by the police for God knows how long. If you really want to go back to it, it could go as back long to as video King. cameras have existed. Basically, yeah, as long basically, as, uh, yeah. as long as like mobile video cameras has existed, uh, that has existed. But you also add the fact of the death was so gruesome and so neat. It's all like the death was so just obviously sadistic by those who are perpetuating it. That even those who could compartmentalize state violence couldn't ignore it. And I think. We kind of see something similar here with the. Do you do you kind of see that as a uh, sort of as a thing, Keanu? Or sorry, Josiah. Oh, um, the quick thing I wanted to throw in, and then uh, Keanu uh, should speak on this, but was that this one wasn't filmed, and I was going to say that's an interesting distinction between George Floyd and this. That there, there. Why is it that there was, as Keanu mentioned, there was filmed incidents of um, Iranian state oppression of women in the past and those didn't do it but then this one which isn't filmed did which kind of seems to go against what i think our our general assumptions would be could there also just be like the heightened awareness well not even heightened awareness but like the ability to speak out more against you know gender gendered violence i mean you know i i hate to say this guys but the abrahamic religions are very strongly patriarchal um, and so a lot of these very oppressive governments will use religion as a cover to oppress women, mm-hmm. to, you know, take control of women's bodies and the way women are supposed to dress and act. And is that sort of like a, in, you know, with social media and like the, uh, you know, exchange of ideas? I don't know. Does that sort of, does like the, you know, di- uh, the freer exchange of ideals... And like feminist theory and stuff like that being more accessible, has that also contributed to this? What what strikes me as a very uh, a profoundly difficult conversation is something I've been I've been like ruminating over with with you all, with people on Twitter and on various uh, social media platforms is the question of the possibility of transnational solidarity. I think that in some sense. I am a very, very pessimistic person. What do I mean by that? I'm really inspired by the work of a French philosopher, Jean-Francois Lyotard. And one of his, one of his ideas is the incommensurability of communication. What I, what I say and what you hear are fundamentally not fungible things. I can't exchange what I say for what you say, and you can't exchange what you say for what I say. Uh, there is a, a yawning void between people within the same culture expand the gap to someone in a completely foreign country with whom you share virtually nothing except your very humanity and you have to ask yourself the question how can we in- how can we engage in a liberation struggle together when we share so little in common and i think i don't have a good answer to that question but what i do know is that if we say the past is a foreign country we have to say that foreign countries are also foreign countries and what what i mean by that is 
we have to we have to take the maneuver of of the given the choice between two intellectuals one of them is noam chomsky one of them is michel foucault we have to take the side of michel foucault in this conversation and what do i mean by that chomsky presents himself as this intellectual who has all the answers he knows he knows the world systems theory he knows the he knows his anarcho syndicalism he knows what the right path forward could look like for him the problem is a problem of education. If only people who are caught within this matrix of ideology of manufactured consent, if only these people would simply get up under this and ask for their rights and fight for their rights, then you know everything will be fine. Mm. Foucault and to a surprising extent someone like Slavoj Žižek will say the the situation is far more complicated. That we don't know mm -hmm. what the path forward is. We don't know what a, a future emancipatory, liberatory struggle that includes everyone and all identities could look like. And the reason we don't know what that looks like is because we live in an era of epistemic fracture. We live in an era of, of incredible division, incredible self-interest, and incredible um, lack of agreement on basic foundational presupposition. So what, where am I going with all of this? Well. I bring up all of this just to say that if you look at the Iranian diaspora in Europe and in North America, there's broadly three camps of people. You have you have a, 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 a the most the the largest uh, plurality, which is people who are basically uh, apolitical. Uh, these are immigrants from Iran who came either before the revolution in 1979 or came afterwards, who are trying their best to assimilate into to the you know, quote unquote, standard white American uh, cultural milieu. You have people on the left, a very small contingent of Iranian immigrants all across the world. And then you have uh, this in-between group, people on the right. And who am I referring to when I say people on the right? The Very similar to the Cuban diaspora, uh, there is a derogatory term that you can use to refer to these people, and the term is Shahi. And you might, you might have uh, heard the, the word Shah before. It refers to the king of Iran before the revolution. And these these uh these uh people, these right-wing uh, Iranians in the diaspora um are monarch some of them are monarchists. There's not been a lot of research done on empirical sociological research done on this group of people. But what I can tell you is that they are completely fine to work with the Republican uh, neoconservative establish uh, political establishment to advocate for regime change at in Iran at whatever cost uh, uh, possible. If that means a firebombing of Tehran, so be it. If that means an armed American uh, ground invasion of Iran, so be it. These people have very little in common with the actual lives of, 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 uh, of Iranians in the country. And we can't have a conversation about the, the late uh, Masa Amini's death without acknowledging, as we've heard earlier, the, the social dynamics of anti-Kurdish sentiment, but also the fact that American imperialism in the form of sanctions and the regime of sanctions has decimated the Iranian middle class. We have a plurality of people in the country living in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a, poverty is too strong a word, but in, uh, in serious precarity. There is water shortages, food shortages, medication shortages, and these are man-made, man-produced uh, uh, disparities as a result of this uh, the sanctions regime. And so 
I'm not I'm not blaming the theocratic Islamic fundamentalist regime on American imperialism, but I am saying that we're dealing with a very complicated web of of factors here. And uh, something that Josiah and I talked about before we started recording was there seems to be a contingent of people on the left who who think that what's going on in Iran is a, is a quote-unquote color revolution, which refers to a um, artificial CIA-backed, um, three-letter agency-backed uh, 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 meddling in the affairs of a sovereign state. Um, whether or not that's true, it's too early to say. I'm a historian, not a journalist. Um, but what I can say is that the left should probably learn how to chew gum and walk at the same time. <laughs> right. No, we that's can, I mean can, that's a yeah. great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I, I, I think this is perfect, a question. Yeah. yeah, I think this has been a question that um I mean since this whole year has been this question and watching I don't I feel like people not quite sure how to how to think through it. How do you think through this this web of interests where like at least on this show our stance has been has been, uh, you know, like in, you know, in support of the Ukrainian resistance against Russia, right? However, on the flip side, it is, it is undeniable that it is within the U.S.'s geopolitical interests that Ukraine succeed against Russia because Russia is a rival. Um, and I, yeah, how do we, how do we chew gum and walk at the same time, right? How do we, how do we both have solidarity and be, resistant to the um you know monopolar uh or unipolar like world order that we've had for so long and resistance to american hegemony it's it's a uh it's not an easy question to answer and yet there is also something very simple about it you know like like i think that why i like your phrase there a lot is there is something just simple about it too it's like well you also do have a basic sense of morality here you can see where what oppression is happening but then when you part, start putting it into this world system, it, it gets harder to, to, to know whose side you're on. And so you have people, you know, I, I don't want to act like this is a majority of people. There aren't a lot of people doing this. But online, you run into people who do this 4D chess in their brain, this, this uh, imperialism calculus, and then suddenly like have Z in their you know username on Twitter and they're cheering on Russian imperialism. And it's like, okay, well, you're not resist you just you know cheering on a different type of imperialism so how do we how do we oppose imperialism broadly i don't i don't know i think there's a kind of there's a kind of strategic orthodox leninism that i find kind of funny which is let's support bashar al-assad let's support uh kim jong un let's support let's support totalitarian regimes given that we know what they've done, but let's support them anyway because they're anti-American. Yeah. So there's there's this logic that I, I don't understand very well. Like, I understand the impetus to want to blame America for everything. I understand yeah. it. But you can't because what that does, and I, and I think people really have to hear this, blaming America, blaming Britain, for every single problem that's ever happened in the world takes away the agency of people who are not white. And what I mean by that is it took Slavoj Zizek telling me this at, an, at a conference at UCLA for me to really understand 
that subaltern people can do bad things. People who are not white can do bad things. They can do bad things independent of the influence of imperialism. And once, once, once we become okay with saying that subaltern actors actually can speak in, in, in opposition to, you know, Spivak's famous, uh, citation, can the subaltern speak? I would say, yes, they do. And they're speaking quite a bit. And the question is, how do we, how do we separate, um, discourse that fits in with a broader schema of transnational solidarity with, with, genuinely convicted people with genuine religious convictions that say that it's all right to impose um, one's religious convictions on other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe the vast majority of the left in uh, North America, in Europe, has the, has the vocabulary, the, the intellectual armature to engage with difference, to engage with non-universality. And one of the reasons why I hold up people like Jacqueline Rose, who has a fantastic book called On Violence and On Violence Against Women, and why I hold up uh, some of Zizek's work, not all of it, uh, is because we have to be brave and confront these questions of cultural difference in a way that addresses an urgent need. People are dying here. And so what do we do? Well, I think the first step is education. We need to educate ourselves about what's going on on the ground. We have to read Gramsci. We have to read Marx. We have to read all these people. But we also have to read um, Edward Said. We have to read, um, uh, I mentioned on the last time I was here, books about Islamophobia, books about the history of, of, of slavery in the United States. Uh, we, we need to expand our horizons of what is possible in terms of critique and moving away from these binaries of this kind of quasi-Leninist, um, supporting authoritarian regimes because they're anti-American or this kind of generic liberalism that says, uh, oh, well, you know, the recently elected fascist prime minister in Italy is fine because she's a woman. Like, this, <laughs> we have to move away from these two choices. Also, so I have a hot take, and you can uh, feel free to call me out on this, Keanu, but certainly also the um, the liberal rhetoric of it's their culture, which I feel removes agency from these places. I think that also is a very reductive way to view, like, Middle Eastern religion, you know, the history of Islam. Because, you know, what the government is doing in Iran um, is not reflective of Islam as a whole, as well. So I, I just feel like, you know, people throwing up their hands and going, well, it's their culture, it's their religion. Um, you know, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, as I said before, very patriarchal religions, but at the same time, they're also, you know, they can also empower women. And so you have a government that is using the, you know, or, or taking like some of the, you know, less desirable um, or little more problematic features of a religion. You see this in the United States with Christianity and, and just making it terrible and using that as the excuse to oppress the population. So, Finch, you're absolutely on point with this, and I want to actually push your critique to the end. I would say that there is no such thing as Christianity. There are Christianities. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as Islam. There are multiple ways of practicing and embodying Islam. Once we start to do this monolithic thing that 
that you know uh you know there is a christian culture i'm using scare quotes here or you know there's a there's a islamic culture we start to we start to move away from sociological and anthropological analysis and we become normative and i have no interest in establishing normative claims mm -hmm. what i'm interested right. in doing is is pointing out that religion historically and in the present moment has been a vehicle for both emancipation and liberation and authoritarianism totalitarianism and genocide yep absolutely so, so there's no there's no there's no easy way out of this right but the the liberal penchant to say it's simply culture is the newfangled postmodern way of articulating what we used to talk about in the 19th century and the early part of the 20th century as biology you know mm. culture right. culture mm -hmm. is is just as problematic as saying oh well this person can't uh do xyz because they're black right they don't right. have the capacity mm. to instead of saying that today we say oh well it's in the it's in the culture of african-american communities to be violent right or it's in the yep. culture of yep. of um north african um communities to be prone to terrorism these are ridiculous reductive claims that have no basis in history and i think what we need to do is begin to think about what people on the ground are doing in terms of mobilizing the cultural and intellectual resources at their disposal to advocate for a new horizon of possibility right what upsets mm -hmm. me is that people on the ground in iran are not jettisoning the religious epistemology right they're not they're not they're not the same as the monarchists in the iranian diaspora who are using the social unrest that's going on right now to justify american intervention right so this very complicated picture we have is is ultimately one where you have people on the ground in iran with whom i've spoken um who are fundamentally dissatisfied with being unable to express themselves freely in the way that they can but they're not interested in in a in a, in this parade of american troops coming to liberate them from some kind of theocratic hegemony right what what people want on the ground in iran is an end to sanctions an end to being demonized as a pariah state for something it had no role in after the events of 9/11 and i think beyond those basic demands it's hard to hear out of the chatter and out of the cries of women in the streets of Tehran and other cities a clear program or an agenda for massive institutional social reform that right. might mm -hmm. come in the foreseeable future right but what i what i'm worried about is uh i mentioned this to Josiah earlier there's a there's a really bad article that came out in the new yorker about uh um a Shocker. a woman by the by the name of uh, Masi Alinejad and uh she is a a American funded ostensibly uh uh CIA propagandist that's the nicest way to say it right not exactly <laughs> the CIA she's part of this organization called the US Agency for Global Media and if you've ever heard a more eerie or scary name scarier name for an organization I <laughs> Yeah you but. you know your organization is bad when it's just like instead of naming it something fun they just like they just sat back and they were just like fuck it I guess we're just going with the scary name we don't have anything better <laughs> That's exactly right and the the New Yorker piece is 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 hailing Alinejad's 
contributions to the social unrest in Iran as 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 if her activism sparked the unrest. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Mm. It's it's framing these monarchist people in the diaspora as the sole cause of revolution in the country. And what what that what that does to me is it breaks my heart. Because we see people in Iran who are legitimately fighting for fundamental human rights, fundamental freedom. And yet you wonder, where are their voices? How can we, how can we put them on a pedestal and listen to them? And I think there are, uh, there are a, a, a wide array of journalists and intellectuals and people that I trust that I'm happy to give you guys in the show notes or to the links to people you can follow. Um, but there's just so much bullshit out there as well that is dissimulating mm. the reality of the situation. Well, it, it was really striking to me that the whole thing, because it, it seems to carry on the long-standing tradition of, uh, denying, uh, the long-standing tradition of denying Muslim women, uh, any sort of implicit or explicit say in the process. Because in a way, it's it's always kind of been about this, you know. When we were invading the Middle East back, way back when, it was always, mm. you know, people coming in burqas, coming in, you know, basically different levels of, like, Islamic dress, conservative dress for women. And just them saying, well, look at this. Isn't it scary? Isn't it oppressive? This is the worst thing ever. Let's go and invade the Middle East, guys. We've got to liberate these women. And I think repeatedly what we see in even this instance of it is it never asks the women involved, well, how would you practice? Because it's always the idea that Islam is this oppressive force in their lives, but it never asks, well, how would you, how do you practice Islam? Is the problem really that you are basically being forced into this situation, obviously, because there's this police force, this state police force, this division of the government that will literally just imprison you for improper wear and not abiding by this dress code. We'll just imprison you for it. That's really the problem in the scenario. But it never goes and asks the women, well, how would you, you know, how do you relate to this specific part of Islam? How would you practice it? How would you uh, wear religious conservative dress if you're going to wear it at all uh, and still practice Islam? How would you relate to that? But it, it always comes at it at the angle. Well, this this religion is some sort of like uh, sort of outside influence removed from any like temporality or, you know, removed from any active participation in the society in which they live. And, like, active influence in these women's lives. It just kind of acts like it's a virus that they have to just walk around with. And, uh, you know, it it just, um, they don't have any say in how they relate to it. Which we all know is just silly because people don't relate to, like, you know, religions in that way. Especially when, you know, it's kind of formed a cultural hegemony or, like, a cultural air. Yeah, no, I agree with, uh, with Phil that there's a... There is a kind of a, and this is sort of broadly to the point that Keanu was making earlier, was that there is, this is not a, I hate to say concentrated effort, but it kind of is, at least in a disorganized sense, to remove the autonomy of, of, like, it, removing the autonomy of 
one uh, Muslim women that they have no autonomy in how personal autonomy and how they act within their own religion, but also like the point that Keanu was making earlier, you see this in obviously more liberal circles, but also uh, in some particular spaces on the left of with the rhetoric of a cover color revolution. It, it seems that they, that some, that the people that live in, in these countries are not human beings. They're just kind of think they're, they're, they're spaces in, in a picture, their iconography. They're not actually human beings with their own autonomy who have a lived experience with this country and who have opinions about it that probably differ from how someone on the outside probably views it. And you also have the aspect that you cannot purely take, like, purely putting the, like, the opinion of that this is a very complicated, overall the point that we're getting is that this is a very complicated, long-running series of issues and events that have led up to this blow-up that is the, the protests. But simply saying, oh, no, the CIA did that, or this other three-letter agency did that, uh, or, you know, it's, it's this or it's that, it removes, one, autonomy from the people who are in that protest, but also removes the autonomy of bad actors in, like, other countries. Like, it, it, it somehow view, it's somehow, it's a paternalistic view of other people in that they can do no wrong, and that the only evil... Evil could cut that out. <clears throat> evil can only be perpetuated by the "quote unquote" West, rather than yeah, no, there are really bad people in all countries and all states. Maybe that has to, has something to do with the nature of the state itself. But you can't just, in my opinion, there is something very racist about just saying. That because this is this human being is brown, and then they are this. It's like it, it comes to this, like the reemergence of the noble savage. That mm, this this yeah, sort yeah. of archetype of this brown person that is sort of like your idea of who they are, rather than what they like, rather than being an actual human being. You're creating an archetype rather than dealing with the very complicated minutia of dealing with other human beings. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. One thing I, I wanted to bring up um, and hear Keanu's thoughts on a little bit was um, actually uh, kind of a, a connection to my understanding of what your PhD topic uh, is in or was in. Um, because I know you you studied uh, Iranian uh, student activism in France, right? Um, That's right. Was it yeah. around Was it around the sixty eight revolts? Uh, my studies include the sixty eight revolts. It goes from okay. nineteen forty eight to nineteen ninety. Okay, so I I was thinking of, of what kind of impact this um, is going to have in the uh, in the diaspora with uh, the, 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 this protest movement will have because. I, when I think of the 68 revolts, I think of that as specifically being about kind of a sexual lib um, liberation kind of motivation that initially triggered it with the um, the student dorm situation. I remember being like one of the initial parts of 68. Um, and I don't know to what extent Iran like Iranian uh, students were involved in that side of that uh, debate. Um, but the push for like co like the ability to have uh, women in men's storms and stuff like that. I, I don't know if, if that um, has kind of a similar touch to this of like kind of a sexual liberalism 
um, which obviously like not not wearing a hijab is not um, quite liberalism in, in the U.S. or, you know, in the West here. But it is liberalism, of course, um, in that context in Iran. Um, so I, I don't know if there's anything kind of connection here that you, you can see or if I'm kind of, you know, rolling with that. The, the other side of that is, of course, I, I wonder to what extent French Iranians are reacting to this because it's in a, it, almost a complete opposite situation in France where you can get in trouble for having the hijab. There is the debate about being able to wear head coverings in the first place because of the enforced secularism kind of in, in France. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm asking vaguely about the Iranian diaspora in France and broadly, how how will they react to this? How did they react to stuff in the 60s? Um, what did activism look like? So there's a lot there's a lot in that question. Um, I think the first the first thing I would say is that there is a sociological principle that we have to be frank about, and it's the principle of non-Islamosity uh, in the diaspora. What that basically means is that statistically speaking, most Iranians who who fled the country within five years before or after the revolution in 1979 don't really identify with Islam, I should say with Shia Islam, in any more than a sort of vague cultural adherence. You could compare it to mm. cultural Catholicism, right? Yeah. Um, now, I'm not trying to establish a binary where you have devout religious conservative Iranians who live in Iran and then these these atheistic secular Iranians in the diaspora. That's not that's, that would be an oversimplification. What I am saying is that the cultural milieu of activism in Iran happens within an environment of lived, breathed, practiced, embodied Shia Islam. The way people relate to that is fundamentally more complicated than the story of Iranians and their in the diaspora and their descendants who have decided not to associate themselves with em embodied and practiced forms of Islam. So there has mm -hmm. been scholarship about non-Islamosity as a principle in diasporic networks. So that would be the first thing I'd say. The second thing I would say is that um, uh, Iranians in, in Paris and in France in the 1960s uh, were fundamentally not as active as, uh, let's say, in West and East Germany, mm, okay. um, where there were a a larger amount of Iranians, but b a much more political leftist collaboration between secular internationalist Maoist third worldist groups uh, of Iranians, of Vietnamese, of uh, of uh, white Germans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that solidarity was not as operationalized in the French situation simply because secular left leftist internationalist students, um, uh, the, the vast majority of them, at least in the 60s in, in, in Paris, uh, who are Iranian, uh, were not part of the official communist organ, which was called the Tudeh Party. And so the French Communist Party didn't necessarily open its doors and give a wide embrace to the new left. It didn't embrace uh, um, post-communist left-wing organizations uh, to the same extent that the more radical milieu uh, of Germany did. Okay, yeah. Do you think that there is sort of a 
sort of this is semi um related to the question of diaspora but do you believe that like um Iranian diaspora has a bit more of a romantic version of the Shah than um you know what reflects reality <coughs> this is this is basically my research um the uh the the question of diasporic nostalgia is very very mm. strong in places like Los Angeles Orange County Washington DC where there's heavy concentrations of Iranians in the diaspora, there is this rosy picture of the Shah as someone who enabled widespread technological industrial reform, someone who fought for the agency of Iran as a country and of Iranians, someone who increased the, the international reputation of Iran. All of those things are broadly true. I mean, there are, there are, some, there are some little things I'd nitpick with that narration, but it, what's conven- conveniently left out is his... His, in, his uh, broadly onsetting megalomania and madness towards the end of his regime. What's left out is his Savak, the secret police, which indiscriminately and violently suppressed Iranians both at home and abroad. Um, the secret police, which would suppress and imprison any form of left-wing activism, uh, left-wing activism which was made illegal in the 1950s, I should say. Um, but the 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 human rights situation in Iran towards the end of the Shah's regime, so we're talking about the mid-70s and forward, it was bad. If you were not apolitical, if you were on the left, you were not going to have a good time. And this is something that, that a lot of people forget in the diaspora. Because we have to remember that not everybody in your community is politically involved or politically active. And frankly, not everybody cares. Most people view the left as a nuisance to their comfort. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I said earlier that education is probably the most important thing here, that trying to deconstruct these paradigms that view left-wing agitation as a threat to comfort and stability, mm-hmm. trying to deconstruct that narrative is something that I'm all about. Well, I don't know. I think it's, it's very interesting because uh, we just see like, we see this kind of, like, vitriol. We see this, like, vitriol for religiosity. Josiah and I were talking about it before the the episode even began, where, uh, to tie this into a, another ongoing conflict, Ukraine, people are being anointed in the Ukrainian army for with um, holy oils, you know, in the Orthodox Rite, before they go off to battle, because, the, you know, they, they feel that they're facing evil, and they kind of are getting protected. And immediately there was this like liberal wing, this like just entire liberal deluge of like fear mongering and anger leveled at Ukrainians. You know, how dare they do this, you know, in times of war. And I think how it relates to this is that like, it's difficult to deconstruct any ideas of how people relate to religion on how even if those ideas are even inherent to the religion, we see this a lot in Christianity, where someone will just make like a, a blatant presupposition about Christianity being usually a socially regressive thing, and then we all have to chatter around and do the whole like, well, listen, fellas, we all know that's not true if you've read enough of the text, and then yada, and then etc., and then like it never goes anywhere or accomplishes anything because. The only people who really care 
are the people who've got skin in the game, typically. The people who, I mean, especially people who kind of fit the archetype of listeners to the show. You know, there is this kind of like, we we kind of do know a little bit more than the average person, not trying to trying to be a shithead here, but we know more than the average person about Christianity. It, it's kind of uh, a special interest to me. And it, it the seems the same thing happens in cycles to Islam as well, to basically all world religions, where it's this this kind of it's this feeling that in the cultural in the cultural mil- milieu, what ends up happening is that all these things get ascribed to a religion, and then, you know, over time it just becomes this pervasive atmosphere of like you're socially regressive we all know you're socially regressive give up the game fucko and then it's really hard to differentiate or discern the interests of the people who practice the religion because there's there's no way to separate those beliefs and the internal logic of other experiences whether they be political or sociological or personal to a specific group and then you just get lost in this horrible swamp of of mired in this lack of distinction this lack of uh, ability to make like definite moral uh and knowledgeable claims about much of anything um well, I, you know, as we've kind of been suggesting, Keanu talked about earlier about looking at, at Islam or Christianity as Christianities or Islams, that there's a lot of different types of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, There is also a danger that comes with that as well, because I'm thinking about um, uh, con- uh, The Muslims Are Coming by Aaron Kudnani. I don't know if you've read that. It's a really great book, but... Um, he, you know, he he talks a lot about the. Uh, it's about like the domestic side of the war on terror and the infiltration of the FBI and CIA into mosques in the U.S. and it, it's it's a really fantastic book. But he he criticizes two different approaches to Islam um, from from Western views, which the conservative one fits kind of the the description we had earlier that oh this is um it's a cultural problem. It's, you know, it's that kind of laundered racism. Oh, this is extremism and terrorism is, is a, you know, just natural to the Muslim psyche. You know, it's, it's that the liberal side um, is very comfortable with, with talking about Islam's, you know, kind of divvying it up a little bit. However, it wants to find the form of Islam. That's the good one that they can support. And so uh, in one particular example in the book, if I, I recall correctly, there was a few years that the uh, it was either the FBI or the CIA it was you know, some three letter agency was supporting Sufism and, and it was supporting that and trying to encourage Sunni and Shia mosques to embrace Sufism, which um, is ridiculous. You know, it, it'd be kind of like if, if we I don't know if the tables were turned and the state decided that you're less dangerous if you're a Baptist and so they just started showing up at at um, Finch at your your parish and started trying to encourage you to be a Baptist. It like doesn't make any sense, right? But you know, you you find the one that's the good one and go with it. And my my fear is that you know a lot of people who have solidarity, especially a lot of white feminist movements, as we we see some like uh, demonstrations that have been happening in Amsterdam in support of um, the the feminist movement kind of going on in Iran right now. You know, that they support this like specific notion of Islam or secularism, and this is the good one, rather than what I think 
should be taking place, which is allowing, uh, you know, Iranian women to say, well, what is the form of Islam that they wish to have? You know, it, it, you know, what is the form of Islamic government if there's going to be a non-secular government they want? And, you know, maybe that's that's the, the challenge, I think, of like if you're somebody who believes in democracy in some sense or decolonial whatever is not trying to find which one you think is the good one per se. But on the other hand, having some morality and and acknowledging what is it isn't oppression. I, I don't know. I guess I've, I've got kind of a conflicted feelings on this, but I, I don't know if this gives you anything. Um, anything. Uh, it contributes anything. Uh, another hot take. Feel free to rip into oh, this. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of white feminists also just have a lot of saviorism when it comes to Islam. Uh, you know, certainly romanticizing certain, you know, the good, good Islam, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't know if it's sort of like overcorrecting for Islamophobia, which of course, you know, is bad, but you also, you mm. sort of get into this idea where like white feminists start trying to talk on behalf of Muslim women. They don't let Muslim women like, or they kind of quiet like Muslim women's own critiques or what they want to see out of their religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's all I, I have to really say to it. It's just a very weird sort of relationship with it that they have. Yeah. And I think it also has to do with the fact that a lot of white Westerners just don't really understand Islam. They kind of see Islam as this monolith. Um, mm-hmm. Or they say they see sort of a Western variant or, or, or an Eastern variant and they go, oh, that's all the religion. I I, I mean, they, they, they do this with, you know, various religions as well, but Certainly with Islam, it's a very strange dynamic they have there. I don't... Yeah, I think that it could come from the fact that it seems that people just don't know how to deal with talking about complex ideas such as religion and dealing with the fact that it isn't... Religions are not a monolith. They're not a black and white entity. They are, regardless of how we view them, as as you know, folks who are religious, we have a we obviously believe that there is truth to our religion we believe that there is a that's why we believe in it but we also have to deal with it this is something that i've seen uh theocratic fascists sort of take is that they take religion as itself as god and as being divine and in some ways being this elevated thing and i think that that we those of us who are differentiating ourselves from a more right-wing religious purview, I think we need mm-hmm. to realize that religion is a human construct. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and human constructs are incredibly complicated. Look at gender. Look at race. Look at the... Look at ethnic... Like, look at how we conceive of how we organize these things because we are pattern-making animals. We want everything to fit in a particular pattern and organization. But we also seem to have a really hard time dealing with... with immense complex organisms such as religion and in the case where there is some pretty significant sociopolitical and geopolitical um sociopolitical and geopolitical uh sort of maneuvers going within it such as the case of the u.s uh like broad not just the u.s but like broadly because i think that europe tries to obfuscate their role that they play in this especially in iran's history 
which is pretty significant. Uh, I I think that in regards to like how the like the West wishes to view the Middle East, a lot of people, both on the right and on the the liberal sort of wings of of establishment politics, they want they it comes from that desire for you to project your own idea of what the ideal of this thing is or to just get rid of it. There's no in-between of actually viewing this thing as being a highly complicated organism of human uh, of human emotion and intellect that, yeah, is kind of complicated and depending on who you're talking to, is different and means different things to different people. It is not, uh, like, it... The idea that one has to be like an atheist to oppose uh, forced um, like the like these laws that have it that that, that govern women, women's bodies is ridiculous. But also the idea mm. that like it's it's ridiculous to to like assume like what Keanu was saying was that it's ridiculous to assume that like everyone within uh, Iran is basically like a religious fundamentalist and it's also ridiculous to assume that those within the diaspora are you know just uh, uh to borrow a term that uh sorry that's my phone um to borrow a term that is so so loved by the right wing at least like in the 70s the like bra birding liberals like like the 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 scary idea mm-hmm. of the uh of uh of hyper liberal pseudo leftists it's ridiculous to like to put these two human beings, populations of human beings, in very narrow archetypes. That I'm willing to bet that very few of like it, it, a, this is not based on a human being. This is based on your feelings to justify how you view these people. If that solilo, <clears throat> if that soliloquy at all makes sense. I think we should probably move toward wrapping up here. Um, what do you guys think? Um, yep. I don't know. Do we have any any final thoughts you guys kind of want to leave us with? Final um, thought. Final thought. Um, Phil, shut up. You better have one. You better have one. <laughs> oh, and not Phil, just if you don't, I'm no going to break your legs with oh a my hammer. God. So my final thought about this whole mess is just it's... Uh, well, it, it's really sad because it I, it reminds me of, like, how hard it is. Um, and I don't mean this in, like, a, God, it's so hard to be a religious person in the modern day. Right-wingers whine about it all the time. Shut up. Shut up. I'll kick your ass. I'll kick your goddamn ass. But it's, uh, I, I think it really is hard to be a religious person in the modern day because you see these, like, I've seen a lot of, like, very sanctimonious liberals recently. This is my own sort of culture war that, that's been going on <laughs> the past, like, week and a half. My my own personal 9-11 culture war uh, is, has just been liberals whining at me when I assert that, like, huh, maybe it's good to have, like, uh, you know, an, or, like an, you know a, or, a rooted in, our, in the traditions of our faith it's actually inclusive to people and them just getting mad at me how there needs to be space for them and then i need to consider their feelings and i had to whip out the <laughs> like i'm a queer person leave me alone if you're a straight guy and you're critiquing this shut up but like it, it was it was this whole nonsense battle and it, it reminded me how hard it is to be religious because it's like it seems that people are just kind of hostile 
to any moral claim whatsoever for some ungodly reason that like that maybe we should do x or like do something that's good or you know actually believe things i don't know it's 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 anecdotal this is me being anecdotal but it's just it's so hard because it's just like you you know you think you're on the same page as a lot of your brothers and sisters in christ but it's like they're just so like vitriolic on the on the idea of actually doing anything about anything ever they're just so happy to not really care much about anything i really liked um <clears throat> i i'd also like kiana do you have any like uh closing thoughts about iran that you'd like to or the diaspora that you'd like to share uh, no, thank you for asking. Uh, I just think that uh, the more the more uh, we can educate ourselves, the more we can learn about other cultures that differ from 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 that of our own, uh, the better position we'll be in to start thinking about what transnational solidarity could look like. Great, I totally agree awesome. with that. Well, yeah, uh, I, uh, so just I, you really you can't stop silencing women of minorities. It's it's. A I <laughs> love doing it. It's so fun. No, what are you saying? <laughs> uh yeah no i think uh overall i guess a key takeaway from this discussion that i I hope is legible is that uh support people not states Mm -hmm. i think that that's that's something that a lot of people on the left have a problem with um particularly you know those who lie on a particular ideological spectrum that have a little bit of issue when it comes to recognizing the state as a aggressive entity toward the human animal but not gonna get into that but uh regardless i think that transnational solidarity is something that overall is a moral good that we should emphasize i think that if the left wants to if we want to have you know this better world that we all imagine and desire Mm -hmm. I think that breaking down the barriers that have been artificially set up in terms of the nation state is imperative. And simply discounting the the like discounting the fact that state oppression happens throughout the world and that state actors act in bad faith because they're state actors such as the fucking police. Mhm is not shouldn't be a high bar but for a lot of people it is and that's very disappointing to see but not unexpected but uh yeah just echo what kiana said we should be able to chew our gum and also walk at the same time yeah yeah it's it's um it should be possible you can even remain within the leninist tradition and not fall into the kind of vulgar leninism that i do think a lot of uh a lot of people on the online left struggle with. Uh, don't support totalitarian regimes. Support people. Um, I think that's a good way to kind of wrap this up. So let's uh, let's go through everybody real quick. Give your uh, you know where they can find you and all that stuff. So uh, Phil, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Cryptid Director on Twitter.com. And to anybody who's asking, I made that. I made it years ago. It crypt. I was. It was supposed to be a movie. Twitter. Don't ask. And Jackal. All right, everybody. You can follow. <clears throat> you can follow me at Jackal Jester on Twitter.com, where uh, 
I don't know what I'm doing right now. I kind of been silent because school keeps your boy busy. Um, I, uh, I'm reading a lot, though. I've discovered that uh, a lot of French writers really like to take their fucking time with yeah. writing academic papers. <laughs> they really love, really love to use not obfuscating language that just goes on for pages and pages and pages. <laughs> Which just so, makes it so that you're reading a paper till midnight. You're just you're, you're just subtweeting Foucault right now, right? You were you were angry at at Foucault's writing style the other day. Yes, I was. <laughs> which is unfortunate because I like Foucault. It's just that I wish that he's impenetrable wish... at times. Yes. Yeah. God damn it. Follow I me. love Foucault. I he just looks vaguely like Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the right light. Daddy Foucault. Um, uh, Finch. Yes, yeah, you can follow me at Finchor. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's spooky season, so might post mm. some gothic f- threads. We'll see. Nice. I'm working pretty hard, so nice. We'll see where it goes. Um, and I, I am uh, I am Josiah. You can follow me at Josiah W Sutton on Twitter.com. Trying to be a little less active, uh, but when I do come on, I will come on to defend uh, John Calvin and oh Sigmund God. Freud. Both because you're are fucking right heretic. About because you're every a heretic single the, thing, the degenerate. Every single thing they're right. No, the, Freud is yeah, totally he, right he about things. You guys piss me off. You guys, he... you guys see that shit? The shit like. Um, the guy that was like, oh, they ma- they mastered the female form, and it was like the AI generated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Milker. Fucking, Stop, I'm just Phil. Telling you, literally, well, yeah, I'm with Phil on this one. That is, Freud was right about everything, and it just he just keeps getting away with it. You, you know, can't deny the point. You can't deny. Wait, hold on. Hold on. You can't deny the mommy milkers. Yeah, Josiah, do you, do you, so this is an interesting question. Yeah, no, never mind. We should, uh, we, we should. <laughs> yeah, no, never mind. Uh, I, I will end okay. this instead with, I will, instead of making a very dumb joke, instead, I'm going to end this with this. Uh, Puerto Rico uh, was devastated by Hurricane Ian. Yes. Um, uh, power is just, it, everything is fucked there. Uh, we're going to put some links in the description for Sun Florida, news. for Puerto Rico, for Cuba, and for the Dominican Republic as they try to recover from the ongoing shitty climate disaster that our planet That's is right. spiraling into because it's too hard to not, yes. you know, just not Be actively evil. fuck up the planet. All right. And I would like to say a special thanks to our guest, Keanu Haidari, for joining us. Where, the, where can they follow you on Twitter? You can follow me at my very bizarre username, at Woe2Chorazine, or you can just Google my name, Keanu Haidari. I also have a website, KeanuHaidari.com. Uh, happy to connect with anyone who has questions about how they can get more involved with this kind of stuff. Hell yeah. And on that wonderful note, uh, have a good day, everybody. Support we real mommy sort of milkers, off. not the AI generated no, no, ones, folks. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. No. Phil, Phil, no. Yes. Phil has my endorsement. No. Yes! No, 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 this no, is the no, one no. time I'll agree with Phil. <laughs> yes, support real massive bonkers, no. all right? No, no, Do it. no. Don't, not stop. The Don't support stop. the AI. Destroy it. It's the yeah, mind we, killer. Of course, we had to throw in at the very end something to make Keanu regret coming. So thanks for that. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you. You've been so patient with us, Keanu. Uh, have a good Love day. Love you guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs>